yes, it's absolutely classic that if you strictly limit what a child can do on a screen, then the minute they go somewhere like a friend's house where it's not limited, they'll be like, that's what I want to do because it's the limited thing. And we make parents inadvertently make screens more attractive in that way. So, I mean, my aim for my children has always been that screens should just be, have not any extra loading than anything else. Because I know that many children already find screens a really desirable thing. And I don't want, as a, as a parent, to add to that. I don't want to make them more desirable. And I know that something that's limited and scarce is immediately more desirable. In just two days, the Recondition Your Life Academy opens for enrollment for one week only. Women all over the world wait for this to open because I only open it twice a year. So if you're a woman who feels stuck, unfulfilled, unsure of your purpose, hoping to heal relationships or trauma and go deep into the work of self-development and inner growth, it's right here, ladies. The Recondition Your Life Academy is the only online course with a community of like-minded women that combines the healing of the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual in such a comprehensive way to allow you to transform every aspect of your life from the inside out. Enrollment opens Thursday the 5th of October and will be open for one week only. So head to the link in the show notes or to laurenvacneen.co.uk forward slash academy and I hope to see you inside our incredible academy community soon. Welcome, welcome back to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Backneen. Thank you for being here, back with the next season. I hope you enjoyed the last episode. It's nice to be back with this new season, feeling very autumnal now. So it's, I always know the podcast is back when it feels autumnal. Um, so I recorded an amazing episode with Dr. Naomi Fisher, and I am excited for you guys to listen to it. If you are a parent in particular, this episode will resonate with you even if homeschooling is not in your um, trajectory in any way, which it's not for me. Uh, but we talk a lot about um, what home education means, what self-directed education means. We talk about neurodivergence and how different types of education um, can be more ben beneficial within that space. We talk about um, control, parents control, you know, how we control our children and actually when we leave children to be self-directed and we take that power struggle away, we actually stop their need to want to control everything. So for example, we talk about screens a lot in this episode, which is for me a contentious subject, always has been, because I don't want my kids to be on screens a lot, but Naomi, after doing her webinar and speaking to her now is kind of shifting my views a little bit, not necessarily from the health aspect. I still think that children need to not be on screens anywhere near bedtime because the artificial blue light will affect their circadian rhythm and their sleep quality. So um, there's still nuance in that, of course, but she's shifting my views a little bit on the control that I am um holding on to around screens with my kids and how that's going to impact them in the future. So all in all, a brilliant, brilliant episode. So much food for thought. If you're a parent, wherever you're at in your parenting journey with education, whether you're home educating, whether you're not, I am not home educating, but um, it's not all we spoke about. We spoke about neurodivergence, how we support our kids in that situation, control, power, and so many other things. It really is a great episode. 
I know you're going to enjoy it. I know you're going to enjoy listening to Naomi. All her information is in the show notes as usual. Uh, We are right now, by the way, in the middle of the Uncover Your Purpose three-day free training that I run twice a year. Um, If you are listening to this in real time, we have a few days left of it. So go to laurenvacneen.co.uk forward slash UYP. Join my Facebook group, Recondition Your Life with Lauren Vacneen. You can take part in that. It's free. Um, And it is all about teaching women how to truly, truly find and step into their purpose and create lives of joy and abundance. So come join me there. It's always epic. And um, I love, just love doing it. This is my passion in life is leading women through these workshops and doing this kind of work. So come join me there if you can. Thank you for being here and for listening to Reconditioned. Please share this episode if it resonates with you in any way or if you enjoy any of these episodes, you enjoy this podcast. And I will see you on the next one. Enjoy the episode. If you've been here a while, you'll know that I believe that we should get whatever we can in the way of nutrition through food. And where we can't get it through food, that's where we supplement. Now, in order to get myself from disabled to completely able-bodied, I had to be really specific and well-researched when it came to supplements, which is why I've been using Amrita Nutrition for the past decade, more than decade actually, to buy pretty much 95% of the supplements I take and recommend. Now, Amrita stocked the highest quality brands using the highest quality non-synthetic ingredients. Most of these brands couldn't even be bought in the UK when I started taking them years ago, so Amrita have made it super easy and accessible. And the other great thing about Amrita is they offer personal support, so if you're not sure of which supplement to order, you can call them and they'll advise you. Now, they're usually a practitioner-only stockist, but you can buy supplements from Amrita now using practitioner invite code LAUREN, which will get you 10% off all supplements. And once you set up an account, that 10% will be applied to every order. I've gone ahead and created a collection of all my favorite supplements with Amrita to help you out with it, which you can find in the show notes or on my website by typing in Amrita. Otherwise, just visit amritanutrition.co.uk and use code Lauren for 10% off. Thank you so much to Amrita for continuing to support our mission here at Reconditioned. Dr. Naomi Fisher is a clinical psychologist and author of the books Changing Our Minds and A Different Way to Learn. She specializes in trauma, autism, and alternative ways to learn. You can see more of her work at naomifisher.co.uk or her substack. So welcome, Naomi. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you here. Just before we started recording, I did tell you that your work came to me from all different avenues of different people um, Mm. sending me your stuff along the way. Um, And it's been an education because actually the way you speak about things is is actually quite different to other people I have spoken to or listened to or read within this space of kind of home education, self-directed learning. and all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm I'm kind of excited to to delve into your views. Yeah, I'd love. For, I've obviously read out your bio. Can you just explain to the audience really what it is you do? Oh, that's a tricky one. Yes, I do lots of things. Um, so right now, so I'm a clinical psychologist, and a clinical psychologist means that I am a practicing psychologist. I have clients. I do therapy, 
but clinical the clinical bit means that I specialize in mental health really so people often say to me actually people sometimes assume I must be an educational psychologist because I write so much about education um, and that's actually a whole different that's like a different qualification a different area of psychology and I think what maybe why what I say comes is feels different is because I come very much from a mental health child development kind of perspective to education so that's where my lens comes from my lens is always mental well-being really mm -hmm. well-being mental health and helping children develop and grow in in a way that works best for each child um and so I think yeah so that's that's my sort of core profession and then due to my own experiences growing up which were that I went to 11 different schools because my parents moved around a lot and then due to having my own children and thinking about what education was going to look like for them I've become really interested in alternative ways to learn and learning outside school and particularly I think my particular interest is what are the things that we all believe are the case or we're all told repeatedly are the case which actually aren't the case which actually aren't as important as we think they are and I so, so just with school for example I think I think but the seeds were very much sown for me as a teenager moving between different schools and discovering that at school they tend to tell you that the way they do things is the way things are and the way they have to be but if you move school a lot as I do you discover they tell you different things that in one school what is essential absolutely everybody must do this no matter what is another school's like we haven't even thought about that issue so I think it's yeah so I think that's what I'm interested in. but right now in my work what I do is I'm I have a few clients and I also run webinars for parents partly because I was finding that I was being contacted by so many parents and seeing people one-to-one -one as a therapist is a really inefficient process. You know, you can only see, even working full-time as a therapist, you can only see very few clients a week, really. And so I was trying to think about what can I offer that will help more people? And that's where the webinars and the books came. And I've done one of your webinars. Um, Which one was that? My friend, the uh, children and screens. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, sorry if that's not the actual title. No, no, but that's what it is. Yes, um, I know what you mean. And we'll put yeah. that in the show notes. We'll put the link to that. Uh, don't, mm -hmm. How often do you do it? I So the webinars I do, well, you can put a link to my upcoming webinars generally, because I right, do we'll webinars do that, kind yeah. of on a rolling basis and they are on different things. But I also have pre-recorded courses, which I sell. And they're yes. often the same content as the webinars, but they have handouts and that kind of thing. Awesome. Yeah. So, so the, my friend, so my friend Simi is um, a pretty extraordinary person who has created a, a, a home education um, a, a community, a home ed community, yeah. basically. And she was one of the ones that told me about you. And she told me about this webinar. Mm -hmm. um, because my, so just, I mean, most of my audience do know this, but for any, any newbies um, and for anyone listening for, that's coming from your audience, um how I've kind of come to this so I, I originally wanted to home educate my children mm -hmm. um and, and I want to in a minute go into what that means to you because actually it I think you come at it from a different perspective to what I used mm -hmm. to hear about and, and this is a very interesting topic which we'll delve into but I wanted to home educate my children because I didn't feel that the uh school system the education system how it is is set up to actually support children 
a friend of mine about 10 years ago gave me a Ken Robinson book and his TED talk and that was it. I was, yeah. I was sold and I thought there must be a better way to do this. And with my work and what I facilitate, I just did not know how I would manage that homeschooling and yeah. and, and just, yeah. So in the end, we, we sent my son to a school. It was, we tried to kind of find the, what I deem the best of a bad bunch and it wasn't a great option we then found a school that is a state school but they implemented the Scandinavian education system so it's a state school and it's mainstream in some ways in many ways I guess but it is very holistic so they finish school earlier they don't do core subjects after lunch like it's all creative after lunch they have a lot more movement they've got this big sensory playground um there's no homework it's it's really chilled like when we they were the sats not the sats what was it oh god I'm so I'm so like blase to all this stuff they're in year two they're what do they do in year two one of those whatever um yeah. it's going to come to me after but for anyone listening you know the thing that they do in year two that they're meant to do and it's like an exam and it's to grade them and so the old school was really rigid on like, you know, the school has to look the best. So the children have to do well to make the school because the school's a business. The school that we have now chosen is more like a community. And they literally sent out an email at the beginning when the packs first went out about the, why can't I think of the name? Is it SATS? Do you do SATS? I think it is you? SATS, isn't it? Maybe I'm it's not, the SATS, yeah. I don't know, in in... I don't know. It might not be sat, so don't. It's Let's just screening the... at the end of year one. I don't know. Anyway, I'm not the right person to ask. Yeah, no, whatever it is. I don't know. Whoever's listening who, who's in the yeah. school system will probably know what I'm talking about. Apologies for not getting it right. But they sent out a thing saying, we're sending out the pack. Do it with your children. Don't do it with your children. It's about us. It's not about your children. Here's the pack. If you want to do it and your kids want to do it, great. And then a week before it was happening, they sent us an email saying, um, you know, the sats are coming up next week. Um, here's what you can do to prepare with your child. And the list was like this, like as long as your arm. And it said, go for a bike ride, go for a scoot, eat a meal with your family, um, uh, uh, play a game, um, go in nature, like all stuff like that. And it was like, I love this school, you know? Um, so it has been, although we are still in the school system, we found a happy medium because I wasn't quite sure. And my son has sensory stuff. So that's been quite difficult managing the stuff that comes up with that. Um, I mean, he's kind of like, he's fine, but he's also not, you know, like where they're just slightly outside the box and you need to find ways to find support within that where actually he's not autistic, he's not got ADHD and therefore at the old school, they just didn't understand what his needs were. Whereas he just, he's just got a few little quirks that kind of don't fit into boxes, you know? Yeah. So having the, the no core subjects after lunch for him has been massive having the sensory playground. Cause he's a kid that needs to climb and like jump and you know, all that stuff. So it's been fantastic. Um, and I wasn't sure how I would manage, even though now like around me, I've got, I'm very fortunate to have a lot of friends who homeschool. So I get all the feedback of what's available um, and there are things I can drop him at. There's a local forest school. There's, you know, lots of provisions and stuff. But anyway, this is where we're at the moment. However, it's just to kind of have given you that uh, background of where I am, because I fully believe in home education. And equally, I felt like my son with his stuff, my daughter's just she'll kind of one of those kids that will be fine anywhere. Um again, with the right support, of course, like, you know, I put, I think that was said about me and I actually wasn't fine, but you know, I have a bit more consciousness around it, but he needs like 
different friends, like a core group of friends and a big, big lots of friends to choose from. Whereas I felt like in the homeschool community, it's, there's not that much, you know, and I just felt about basically what I'm trying to say very badly is that a lot of people listening will be like, will be asking all the questions about, but what about the socialization and what about the this and the da, 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 da. And it's so nuanced, right? It's so nuanced. So I would love you to firstly go into what self-directed education means for you, what home education is, what unschooling is, and all these kind of nuanced bits about what children do or don't get. Because I have to say, I, as you know, I live quite a, I would say, I don't like the word extreme, but probably extreme in terms of wellness and, and holistic health and holistic well-being generally. And yet I'm and also don't want, don't want to say on the fence. I'm not on the fence. I think there are benefits to both if you can find the right place and the right setting and the right support. And most of the people that speak to me are, what will they miss out on if they don't get that? And I know that the answer is, but what will they, how will they get affected if they're in an environment that's wrong for them? But I still think this is an important topic to cover. And then let's, after that, we'll talk about the screens because that's huge. Mm -hmm. And sure. neurodivergence, because also okay. I really want to speak about homeschooling and neurodivergence. So, yeah, fine. sorry, that's so much. Okay. No, no, that's fine. So self-directed education, which is what I have written both my books about, is to me, in my definition, which isn't necessarily the same as other people's definition, but for me, it's education where the learner retains the responsibility for their learning. And what that means is that the learner, so that's the child, is able to choose what they learn and they're able to choose how they learn it and when they stop. So what that really means, so, and I think this is the thread that runs all the way through my work, which is that I think psychological theory shows us that when we make people do things, when we force people to do things, mm -hmm. we change their relationship with that thing. So I can think of so many examples from my own life where if when I've been forced to do something, obliged to do it, basically, suddenly it's less fun. Suddenly it's less interesting. And I tell that story in my book that I was an avid reader as a child. I just read all the time, loved reading, could not be stopped from reading. Most My parents say I'm the only person they know who read through her own sixth birthday party. I was literally <laughs> sitting there with my book because reading was just the most exciting thing I could think of doing. I would walk home from school reading a book, except when I was assigned the book, except when I was told you must read this book and we're going to test you on it. Then, and I even remember this as like a 12, 13 year old, I remember reading it and thinking, why is it I can't get into this book in the way that I can get into almost any other book? You know, it doesn't really matter what it is. If I was, if I didn't have a book, I'd pick up pretty well anything and read. I read my, I read my parents' parenting manuals when I was about seven. You know, I was literally just reading everything I could read except when they made me do it. And there is a whole field of psychology which looks into basically what happens when we make people do things, when we force them to do things. We take that control away from them and we make the activity less fun, less desirable, less interesting. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, but our whole education system is based on the idea that we must make children do things, that we must force them to do it effectively. We set up this whole structure around them which obliges them to do stuff. And then we're surprised when as teenagers, they're like, this isn't interesting. And I feel like we take in the, the, the place in our education system, which is most self-directed are nurseries. Good nurseries are self-directed learning environments because 
the one sort of um, fallacy about self-directed education is that it doesn't have a role for adults and it's just leaving kids to get on with it. It's absolutely not that. It's simply a different way of working with children. So in a good nursery, the adults curate the environment. They set up things based on the things children love to do so they have sand pits and they have water play and they have a home corner and they have dressing up and they have a book corner all things that children love to do and then the children can choose what they do and in a really you know great in the best nurseries there will be a responsiveness to what the children in that nursery like doing so you know there's things like if you've got children who are really interested in fish you'll find that the staff are getting books out about fish and they're maybe organizing a trip to the aquarium or they're playing games with paper clips and paper fish you know they will they they help the children explore their interests and then as they go into the school system we take that away from them and we start to say, you must do this. This is more important than what you want to do. What we think you should be doing is more important than what you want to be doing. And I think the impact of that is almost inevitable that learning will get less interesting and that children will be less motivated to do it because we know that that ability to choose what you do is really important. Um, and so that's, for me, what self-directed education is. And that can happen in a number of settings. It mostly, in the UK, it mostly happens at home just because we don't have many settings where it happens. But there are settings, even in the UK, where, where people are trying to put this into practice. Um, often they're putting it into practice. The places where it's more in practice in the mainstream system are often where children or young people have, have crashed out for some reason. So I find that, say, people in alternative provision are much more open to these ideas they're much more open to this idea we need to engage the, the, the young person's interests because that's where they're going that's where they are really so home education is one form of self-directed education but isn't the only way there are schools and there are in the in particularly in Israel there are massive schools funded government funded schools which operate on a on a more democratic self-directed system that's where my family are from by the way my sister oh, really? lives in Israel but there's nothing near her like that yeah. oh wow do you know about the work Yakov Hex work I don't know I know of one school that uh, in Tel Aviv and one in the north I'm trying to remember where it is maybe it's fat um it's like that, but I there haven't are, heard of it as a big, so it, is there someone I should be looking into then? I'm yeah, Yakov Hecht, I think, H-E-C-H-T, I think, oh, you I should check that. He's that. got, he's had a book, it's a book called Democratic Education, um, okay. and he has been a real pioneer of setting up um, these schools which are free, which are government funded, which are free to attend and are much bigger, because one of the things that people often say is this idea isn't scalable, you can't scale it, it's fine for you at home with your kids or tiny little settings, but it wouldn't work. Well, he has schools of 400 kids. Um, and the idea, the thing about self-directed education is it's not about adults not offering anything, mm. you know, in the same way as in a nursery, it's not about children in an empty room. It's about providing opportunities for them to do things, but not insisting that they do it. So as they get older and older, that might well look like lessons. But the point is that it's a lesson that they can choose to attend or not choose to attend. And that just that little fact makes so much difference, because once it's a choice and you want to do it, your response, your relationship with what you're doing is different. And once you know that you can leave, once you know that if you don't want to do it anymore, you can leave. So unschooling is a form of home education, because, of course, I've said that home education isn't the same as self-directed education. And there are many people who home educate in a way that's more like school. 
So I think home education is a spectrum. Unschooling is the least um, like school, basically. And then there's some people who are basically repeating, a, doing a school day, or there are some people who are doing more than a school day and who's, you know, people home educate for so many different reasons. Mm. Some people might home educate because they don't like what children are being taught in the state system and they want to teach them their own views. Others do it because they think that children are taken out of play-based learning too. You know, there are so many different reasons why people home educate and it's a massive spectrum. But unschooling, I see as the self-directed end of um, home education. But even within that, and I'm sure you've, you've come across this with the well-being and this connects to screens, is that some people who are unschooling or will say they're unschooling will have aspects of it where they they do feel that children must be obliged to do stuff. They'll mm. say like, we unschool except for maths and English, for example, because that's too important not to leave up to chance is what they often say. Um, to which my answer is maths and English are so important that I would not force children to do them because I'm not there. And then <laughs> it's like, I'm. that feels to me more of a chance than not doing it. Do you see mm. what I mean? So to, to me, that act of forcing someone to do something that someone will almost certainly have some damage to their relationship with it. And I don't want to risk that with maths and English because yeah. maths and English are too important. So that yeah, was the I first thing. I thought that was food with my son because he has all these sensory aversions to food. Oh, yes. And it was like, well, if I need him to be healthy, so I kind of need you to have this smoothie in the morning. He's like, food is a really, just don't want to have it anymore. So it's, it's a power one. battle. Yes. Yes. It's exactly the same, actually. Less. But yes. meanwhile, but there has to be a balance because he can't eat junk food all day, right? It's really, it's very tricky, isn't it? Yes, no, exactly. And as parents, we're always work, walking that line between how much choice, because obviously we don't allow children choice over everything because they cannot, they cannot make decisions. They, you know, that everyone always says, what about running across the road? Would you let them run across the road? Of course not. You are protecting them. You have to do that. And what I often say that as children grow up, we are always balancing the things of safety and then challenge, you know, what can they cope with and how much safety are we providing? How much protection are we providing? And we need to be just constantly slightly expanding the, the parameters of what choices they're making, because ultimately what we want them to grow up into is young people who are making their own choices confidently and who know that they can make their own choices. But at the same time, of course, we also have to have the safety of seat belts and know you, I'm going to stop you from running across that road. Even if you hate it, I'm going to stop you from running across that road. So yes, it's never, it's never straightforward. And food is a, such a good example and su one that is such a, I think food and screens are the two things that people find very difficult. Mm -hmm. Where, where's that line? Where is it parental protection? And at what point are you causing more problems than you are solving? Fun fact, humans take in more information in one day now than they did in their entire lives in the 1700s. No wonder we're overwhelmed. Our brains and bodies simply haven't evolved to manage this level of stress. And until that evolution happens, if we want to be well in mind and body, we need things that help alleviate this stress. For me, one of the key tools in my daily wellness toolkit that does this is the Sensate. And if you've been here a while, you'll know how genuinely obsessed I am with this product. It is a piece of health tech that fits in the palm of your hand and it basically sends infrasonic waves through the chest 
to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system while you listen to the specially composed audio within the app. I usually use the Sensate for 10 to 20 minutes before I sleep to reduce cortisol levels, calm my brainwave states from the hectic day and send me into a deep sleep. Clients of friends of mine who have a Sensate have told me that their sleep has never been so good. People who usually struggle with sleep just wake up in the same position they went to sleep in. Everyone needs a Sensate in my opinion and I particularly recommend it to anyone who suffers from overwhelm or anxiety, and anyone who wants to deepen their meditation practice. And you can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code LAUREN30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com, LAUREN30. Thank you so much to Sensate for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. Well, let's talk about screens because like I said, I did your webinar on screens because it's a contentious subject for me because I, on one hand, I completely agree with you. You know, I've got this this one part of me that's like, well, don't stop them from doing something they want to do. Like you said in the webinar, you said something like, you know, if someone, if you were reading a book and someone said, that's it, reading time's Mm -hmm. over, or you can't read that book, you can only read this book, we'd be really pissed off. But there is also a lot of evidence to show that lots of screen time and some of these games are not actually beneficial to children. So my son's about to turn eight. We still don't do regular screen time at all. He plays Minecraft when my daughter's at gymnastics. Um, And other than that, we have TV on the weekends. Um, And part of me is like, stop being ridiculous like you need to give him a chance he wants to do these games he wants to do this stuff he needs to be given the opportunity this is the world we live in and then the other part which I can I'm there right part of me is there but the other part of me oh and also like you're stopping him from doing it all he's going to want is to do it more and the other part of me is but he's not even eight and when my children play right they come home from school every day there's no screens they play They make things, they create things, they're outdoors, they're playing, you know, I mean, they make the most amazing things. They're in the playroom doing crafts and they're riding their bikes and they're playing basketball and, you know, they play. And I I don't want to stop that. I believe children need play. And I'm also, you know, as a health coach, very conscious of the blue light and screens um, how that affects the circadian rhythm, how that affects the cortisol levels. It's not good for any children who suffer, you know, in the slightest with anxiety. It reduces melatonin so the children don't get sleep, you know, the, the best quality sleep when they've been on screens anywhere near bedtime. So there's all these things to consider. And at the heart of it, and then I'm like, you know, but he, he goes around to friends' houses and they're like, do you want to play a video game? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't want him to play video games on play dates. I want him to play with his friends. I want them to play. And also, you know, a mum once said to me, if they don't find anything because her son's really into football and my son's not. And I said, I hope they'll find something to play with. And she said, oh, well, they can just play video games if not. And then I thought to myself, well, then how are they going to learn conflict resolution? How are they going to learn how to figure out what to play? And and there's probably an element of, well, they'll learn that on the screen as well. Um I'm just, yeah, with the health element of it, I'm just not there yet. And I still understand your point of view. And, and I told you about my friend, Simi, who really teaches me all the stuff. She's, you know, runs this home, home ed um, community and she does give her daughter a screen and her daughter is able to tell her when she's had enough 
And sometimes she'll go up to, and she's and she teaches me this. So she'll say, well, I said to my daughter, you know, I've noticed you've been on the screen for a long time. Um, do you think maybe you'd like to go out now? We did say that we'd maybe do this. Do you want to do that? And her daughter will then go, oh, yeah. And because there's no pressure on it, like you have to get off the screen, which is probably at this point how my son would be, if I'm being completely honest. He'd be like, no, don't take it away from me because I don't know when I'm going to get it back. But where is the balance? Well, it's a it's a really difficult one, isn't it? And I mean, I hear your fear as you're talking to me. I hear your fear of screens because it's interesting that you say, you know, your children come back and play. And obviously your fear is if you allowed them to choose to be on a screen, that's all they would choose, that they wouldn't choose other things. And that's a really common thing that parents say to me. You know, I see my children doing I want my children to be playing outside. I want them to be doing creative things. I want them to do this. I want them to do all the things that I think are really important for young children to do. I think if I allow them to choose to be on a screen, that's all they will choose and they will stop doing everything else. And the thing is that if you strictly limit screen time, then that is what you see, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think I talk about this in the webinar. So it's like, yes, it's absolutely classic that if you strictly limit what a child can do on a screen, then the minute they go somewhere like a friend's house where it's not limited, they'll be like, that's what I want to do because it's the limited thing. And we make mm -hmm. At parents inadvertently make screens more attractive in that way. So, I mean, my aim for my children has always been that screens should just be have not any extra loading than anything else, because I know that many children already find screens a really desirable thing. And I don't want as this, as a parent to add to that. I don't want to make them more desirable. And I know that something that's limited and scarce is immediately more desirable. So my ideal for my children, and particularly as they grow, because of course, with children, we're always thinking about where are we going? Where do we want them to be as teenagers? And what I would, uh, my aim for my children as teenagers is that they're able to think, what do I want to do? I'd like to play Minecraft right now. Oh, actually, I wouldn't. I'd rather go and play the piano. I'd rather do this. I'd rather do this because the Minecraft doesn't have an extra mm. shiny cachet around it of that super special and limited or my parents have used it as a reward. So to me, that feels really good. And I guess there's such a strong analogy with food here that I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing that you are someone who wouldn't use food as a reward for your children. You wouldn't mm -hmm. say, if you do this, I mean, all parents, I think, are probably aware of a bit of bribery from time to time, but you probably wouldn't want to set up a system where you're saying, if you do really well at school, I'll buy you a big packet of sweets, for example, mm -hmm. because you would be thinking, hmm, that's not, that's not a good association. We don't want, and that's basically my stance. I don't want to make something like screens more attractive than it is already because it's all they're going to they're growing up into a world where they're going to have to navigate their relationship with screens so mm -hmm. I want to make that as flat as well you know as sort of equal as possible and can and I, I interject can just for a yeah, moment just while while we're here and sorry to yeah. interrupt it's just there's so many thoughts about this that I know I try to mm -hmm. think what my audience thinking what are people listening to this thinking right yeah. now and there will be so you know I know families whose children get home from school and they're just on screens yeah. they're watching their iPad all through dinner their parents yeah. say you know it regulates them and they're watching it right and they don't make any choice to do anything different now what I'm hearing from you is mm -hmm. that that's where our responsibility as the parent comes in to not just get, like you say about nursery, children aren't just going into nursery self-directed and there's no one there. Is mm -hmm. it that it's our role as a parent to give the other options and to, I guess, facilitate the, would you like to do something else now? Or let's 
go and make something or let's go and draw a picture or let's go and ride a bike would you like to do that as opposed to maybe you know because every I believe uh, this is my my biggest thing in life people love black and white but everything is nuanced Mm. so you know they might go yeah but you know this person's just their kids are just on screens all the time after school and maybe is it because the parents aren't offering anything else and it's again it's really nuanced because it can be the child so many children particularly neurodivergent children they really need to decompress when they come out of school because school is a really big effort for them and so being on a and being on a screen for many children can be their safe place it can feel like this is because if you think about what i was talking about with education about not being in control school is an environment where children don't have much control over what they do they have to do certain things with certain Mm. people all day um and say something like minecraft minecraft is actually the most amazing game and it's a game where children can be in control so children even the child who feels really bad at things in their school life maybe maybe their child who's really struggling find it you know they're finding reading really hard or maths really hard they can come into minecraft they can be the the, they are the person who organizes things they can build schools if they want to they can or mine and they can have farms and they are the person who can make things happen and it's a place for lots of children where they can feel good about themselves in a way that they're not feeling good about themselves somewhere else and for children who I mean, you were talking about playdates as well. For children who struggle with social interactions, again, playing on a screen together can be a way in to social interactions. And there's so much conflict resolution in something like Minecraft. If you're playing Minecraft with another child, you're going to be negotiating all the time about who does what, where are you, are you on my land? Are you doing this? There's a, I love listening to my children play something like Minecraft with other children because I hear so much in terms of social navigation, learning that kind of thing. So I think there's there's a couple of aspects, so there's two aspects there, but I think also, yes, there is the aspect of offering as a parent. And, I, you know, in the press, we're, we're bombarded with fear about screens. And if you look really closely into the research about screens, it doesn't back up the fear. You hear some things that are really writ large, but actually very big studies that they've done recently of screen time, for example, with 10 and 11 year olds have found it basically doesn't have an effect on their well-being. They've done studies with like 50,000 children about 10 and 11 and they've managed to track their screen time um they've tracked their screen time like remotely so it's not reliant on people saying how much screen time they have which makes the science basically a higher quality and they don't find that it's hugely damaging they don't find that it's having negative effects so i think but of course those studies don't get amplified in the press in the way the ones that promote the kind of fear element do um but what was I just saying? Because I've just lost my track slightly. What was it? Yeah. So I think it's about, but it's also about joining your children with it. I think that's a really right. important thing. Yeah. I heard you but, say this on the webinar and I don't do that because actually if they've ever got screen time, I need to get on with It's your start. time off. Yes. So that's a different thing. <laughs> so so absolutely. So, time. so if you're used, so then I suppose then again, you're seeing screens as different. You see, yeah. like if they were playing, if they're doing art or something, do you sometimes join them with that? If they're reading a book, do you read with them? Do you do, like, if they're playing outside, would you sometimes play with them? Well, yeah. So, yes. So I'm not saying you have to always be with them when they're on a screen, but I think it's really important for parents to get in there and play 
with their children because I think that dispels a lot of fears when you can see what they're doing and I do talk I think in that webinar but generally I do talk about curating your children's online environment in the same way as you can curate their you curate their environment all the time you know you choose the house they live in the food they eat the school they go to all those things you're curating the whole time and I, I find it's really interesting when I talk to parents who are very fearful about screens, because typically they're not curating their children's online environment, screen environment in the same way. They're more like kind of waste of time, don't want to have anything to do with it. I talked to one mother who's and she said, I won't pay for games. We only use the free games. Well, I don't know if you've ever played the free games on the iPad, but they are very low quality, very um, and they're designed to keep you coming back basically, because really what they want you to do is pay ultimately. So they're the most frustrating games with very little gameplay. So what I said to her is, you know, honestly, I would delete the free games. They're not worth it. And I would spend some time finding really good, high quality games for a child of your of your son's interests and age. Put them on the iPad so they're there so they can discover them. Play them yourself a bit. And I think then you can feel that actually this is another high quality playing environment that they've got that is portable which is great but also one that in which they can show that they can be autonomous you know because that's the I think the one of the big attractions for children with screens is that they can make these choices they can choose to play Minecraft or they can choose to play Terraria or they can choose to make a stop-motion film um, so there are lots of things about that but the other thing is I think that it's a it's often a misconception that if you allow your children to make choices about screens, they will do it all the time and that's all they will do. That has definitely not been my experience. So I have two children who are now 15 and 12 um, and they've had complete, they both have the same approach. I have not limited what they, their screen time, but they have completely different approaches. So my son, who's the 15 year old is now really into coding he writes games he doesn't play so much anymore he rewrites games but he also plays the piano and he's learned the piano through an app on the ipad so he does this he played the whole way through the app entirely he also he's really into climbing and bouldering and he does that a couple of times a week he goes out for walks he does loads of the things my daughter has never actually been that interested in playing on a screen she and when she goes to her, she goes to learning, she actually just started going to school, but she goes to, she went to a learning setting before. She never wanted to take her iPad with her, although you could if you wanted to, because she was like, no, I don't want to. I would rather play with the other kids. And when she gets back, what she really wants to do is art. And she's there in the art room doing it. And, she, and I see her how she uses the screen like she might do she there's this great app called procreate where you can draw and do art basically on the ipad she uses that she does some digital art now and she watches youtube videos sometimes of tutorials of how to do art so it's like for her there isn't a clear division between screen time and other time but they're also and and they both read as well they both read books and in fact, my daughter, who's 12, has only recently started really reading chapter books and getting really interested in it. And suddenly she's just completely besotted with reading. So and I think I forced it. You never said you never have to read this book. You have no. to read. So... No. And your children were both home educated for yes. a long time, right? Yes. So they were unschooled. They were home educated. So they've got a they've got an interesting educational career. They were home educated up to when they were my, my son was nine, nearly 10. 
And then we actually moved to France and they went to a self-directed school in France. And that was an entirely self-directed school. So it was a Sudbury model school, which means that there were no lessons at all. It was fine to turn up and play Minecraft all day. And that is what my son did um, for about two years. But he also, amazingly, he also learned to speak French fluently in that time wow. and at the school no lessons nobody made him do it um so it was a and it so that was a very it was a Sudbury model school which means that staff don't offer lessons things have to all come from the young people then they moved then we moved back to the UK there was Covid and it wasn't really possible to live in France anymore so we moved back to the UK and they went to the self-managed learning college in Hove which is a another place which doesn't force young people to do things, mm, but which which offers more opportunity, more. So they have learning advisors. They have you can have one to ones. You can have um, there are some group lessons, but you don't have to attend them. It's optional whether you do or not. And they were there for three years, and that was they were very happy there. That was a really good time. And my son, so my son went in at twelve to the self managed learning college, having never done anything formal at all ever um and he's just done two GCSEs last year a year early and he's now wanting to do more GCSEs this year and you know he had never done a test in his life Mm. before he went into his French oral did he find tests after never being in that environment I've also spoken to many people who are like my kids have never been in formal education and then they've gone to uni and you know yeah well I think when you're motivated to learn something you learn it pretty quick Mm. and I said to him you know because I had to take him we went because of course because he was he wasn't at school he couldn't just do exams at school I had to take him to a secondary school like over the other side of Brighton which he'd never been to before surrounded with strange people all of whom were a year you know a year older than him there were so many aspects of it which could have completely made him think this is just not I can't do this and I was prepared for him to think to do that actually I I saw it as he said he said he wanted to do these I he said I'd like I want to do these GCSEs I want to practice taking tests basically and see what it's like so I was like okay um and but I was totally prepared for him to go in the first day and say, you know what, I don't want, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And that would have been fine. And I actually said to him, you know, do you feel anxious about this? And he's like, I'm a bit nervous, but I know that it's me who wants to do this. Mm. And and that was how it was. You know, I was honestly, before we had had that experience, I'd also heard people say that and I didn't quite believe it because I, I was like, how, I can't see how we're going to get from where we are now. Like when he was 12, he honestly nothing nothing formal up to that point at all um and I had and I still I mean he's never been made to do anything he's never he wasn't made to do those GCSEs he mm-hmm. does them because he wants to do them and for him that is absolutely key mm-hmm. and he learns the skills he needs when he needs them because he wants to I mean with one other example with him is that he so his he had never been doing handwriting really because he was I hadn't made him do handwriting he types he types really well um but his handwriting was very basic and when he was saying I wanted to do these GCSEs we said to him well you're you will need a scribe if you want to do if you want to do GCSEs or because you you're not you can't write and he said before we look into that I'm going to see if I can learn to write wow and he for the next six months he practiced 20 minutes a day handwriting and he went in and did those GCSEs. And you, it wasn't you weren't timing him. Nothing. I didn't. You know, I did. We had that meeting. This was with the the self managed learning college when he said this. We had that meeting 
And I then didn't do anything more about it. I did not set it up. I didn't say, all I said to him is, if you want, I'll order you like a handwriting book if you want one or a pen. I'm not sure I even did. And then I was really surprised. Basically, four months later, um, he signed a birthday card and he signed it with this loopy cursive. (laughs) And I was like, wow, how have you learned that? And he said, oh, I've been practicing 20 minutes a day to improve my handwriting because he wanted to do it (laughs) the point is that also the parent has to not just not try and control but genuinely do some inner work themselves to not massive amounts of inner work I can be like that's fine don't have your smoothie but really inside I'm dying (laughs) I know whereas I have to be in a place where I can you know and parents doing this have to be in a place where you are not fearful of what will happen if he doesn't learn how to write in the way that he's now learned, or if he doesn't learn French, or if he doesn't do a GCSE, you have to have no fear around that because you know that somehow they'll figure out a way to make their lives work. There are the people that say to me, I know my kid, he will do nothing all day. He will mm-hmm. literally be on a screen all day, yeah. doing nothing productive, and yeah. that is how it will be. Do you think that those children, actually given the opportunity over a long period of time, will just come out of that and it's because they've always been in a school environment and they feel so pressured by it that that's why their parents might see them as that because actually given the opportunity they after maybe three four five months once they've de-schooled it might be different Uh, absolutely I think I would be very surprised if those children were like that at age three and four so if if a child is is quotes doing nothing all day then my first question would be, what are they actually doing? Is it really nothing? Or are they actually just doing everything on a computer? Because I mean, I spend my day on a computer. Mm. And for some from from the outside, it might look like I'm doing nothing. So I would want to know, because they might be that sometimes parents will say they're doing nothing. And actually, when you ask the child, they have a whole set of Mm. different things that they're doing. It's just all happens to be on the computer. But uh, and therefore doesn't or they don't tell their parent because they think that their parent won't think it's worth doing. But yes, I do think that basically the research shows that you damage intrinsic motivation when you make people do things. Mm. And what I have seen with my own children, but also with because I know lots of home educated young children, young people now and self-directed learners. I see that if you are not made to do these things, then things retain their original interest. So like my son loves maths and he is just fascinated by maths and he does it, you know, for fun. And he was also fascinated by physics and basically hard things. He he likes hard stuff and coding. And he doesn't have any kind of, there's never been a thing of, I was made to do this and therefore it has become more boring. But there is also a recognized thing of a recognized period of de-schooling, which all home educators will talk about, that when you bring a young person out of school, it takes a long time before they are able to start to reconnect with what interests them. Mm. Because uh, particularly if they've had a really bad time at school and some children are really burnt out by school, literally burnt out by it. It, you can't just bounce back and sometimes parents will be like great you know we'll get going with online learning and this and this and this and the children are just like get off go away mm-hmm. and I think it's because it takes a long time to kind of a recover from what's happened but also believe that actually you can choose 
and that people aren't going to say that's a waste of time or stop doing that, come and do this. And I know, I think from my own experience, and I think lots of adults can can talk about how that that process, if you've been fully schooled, as I was, um, and then you've gone on to, you know, more further education and everything, actually that process of finding out what really interests you takes a long time as an adult it's not my that we... whole job Naomi yeah is helping women find their purpose because the majority they... of women at 40 years old still don't know who don't they know are, what they like what they want what they want to do because we've all made the wrong choices because yes. at 16 we were told now you have to choose what you want to yes. do with the rest of your life yes some people that didn't know what they want went to university to study the philosophy wrong thing. or not that there's anything wrong with studying philosophy yes, right I love it the right thing for them or they went to study event management because they literally yeah. had to choose something because their parents said you need to go to university yeah. or you know people like my husband who thankfully has been successful running a business but is it what he loves you know yes. no one really so wants to be are. in recruitment purpose. for their whole lives right and yes. it's about purpose and I and I I always say to this um which is why what you're saying resonates so much with me I say to women until you because I work mainly with women yeah. that's why I'm saying yeah. about women but you can say it to anyone until you know who you are, you cannot know what you want, what you like, what your purpose is. So yes. how do we know who we are That's if we've it's... gone through our whole system of being told what to do? And not just that. Off that. Yes, exactly. But also being told that what you're really interested in is less valuable, mm. less important than what we think you should be learning. Yeah. You and know, I've that's... always seen it within the home and community that if you take a child and you allow them to cultivate to nurture something that they love even if it's mm -hmm. something really niche yeah it will go out into the world confident in their ability to do something well yes. which is what most of us who were schooled didn't ever have the opportunity to say totally or yeah. to, to ever feel I guess you know so and one can of I the just, things can yes, I just absolutely. interject there because I think I think that's so interesting that 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 connection because that is perfect that purpose is when we're talking about the self-determination theory, which is what I'm talking about, self-directed education, the three things that we find people need for flourishing are autonomy, so choices, relatedness, so relationships with other people, and a sense of purpose and competency mm. about what you do, a sense that I can do this well. Yeah. And I think one of the problems that we have is that young children, the things that they choose to do, if we allow them choices, very rarely measure up with what adults would prefer them to be doing in the school system. So young children really interested in, well, you know, very young children, sand, mud, all that kind of thing. We tend to be more flexible about very young children's interests, like diggers and dinosaurs. Most of us are all all right with that. As they get older and it starts to be things like Pokemon or TV programs that they're completely into, we tend to really dismiss those as being mm. not a good, you know, much better for you to be reading your book kind of thing. Mm. So it's those years, those primary school years where we're basically telling children all the time what you're interested in isn't that valuable. Mm. We can't, you can't be doing it. And I think in that time is when they're building that foundation of saying, I'm a person who can make choices. And this is what it feels like when I do things that I'm interested in. And then as they go through puberty, they start to think more about the future because young children, they're not neurologically capable of really thinking about the future. And as they think more about the future, there's a whole added dimension to what I want to do. So for a young child, what I want to do is what's most attractive right now? What do I like right now? As they go through puberty and become teenagers and get older, it's more about where do I want to get to and what might I do 
now that even if it isn't the thing I just really, really want to do, it's going to get me somewhere. And that's what I've seen in my children as they get older. And when we've they've had that childhood of being able to choose what they do, even if it was Pokemon or Minecraft, now when it gets to the point of, oh, actually, I'd quite like to go to university or I'd quite like to learn how to code my own computer games, they're ready to put that time in because mm. they've got a different perspective. I kind of see it. Yeah, I just think it would be so much better if we could have a play-based system for so much longer for younger yeah. children. And that, because I think that's when they're building that purpose. Mm-hmm. And you and young children are full of purpose, aren't they? If you see like three and four-year-olds, so purposeful, so full of, <laughs> you know, what they want to do and where they want to go. Um, and yeah, I do think we squash it out of people. And then, and then women in particular, I think women in particular also because of the aspect of, having children, when do you have children, the pressure to have children, you know, while you're still fertile means that it's not till you get to 40 that or so that you think, when was I, when did I make any choices here? Mm-hmm. When, at what point was it my decision to do any of this? And I would definitely put myself in that category. I went to university to study medicine and I studied for like at sixth form level, I studied physics and chemistry, which I wasn't really interested in. I studied them because I was good at them. And because people said, you know, it's more unusual to be good at sciences, particularly if you're a girl. So you should do that. You should do, you know, because not everybody can do that. Whereas the things I was actually really interested in, which is like psychology and English, they were seen as somehow slightly lower status. Mm. And so I didn't do them. And then I went and did medicine. And after two years of medicine, I was so lucky. I was ended up in a university where you could choose anything you wanted to do for your third year. And I chose to do psychology. I'd never studied psychology really before. And I just started studying. I was like, wow, this is so interesting. You know, this is actually, I'm actually now reading books outside my lectures because it's just so interesting. And I feel so lucky to have been at that university because another university, I would have just been on the medical treadmill. I would have carried on to the next year. I would have become a doctor because that was, you know, the steps in front of me. And I think I would have been a really unhappy doctor. I don't mm. think it was the right the right thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I one of the things that, something that I listened to that really shook me up was the uh, the stark raving dad podcast Mm -hmm. uh, life without school or something and he talks about his four children being homeschooled and how one of them is really into like making movies and she's always just taking videos and making I'm you know an iMovie and one of his kids is into something and like how he describes their homeschooling life is the dream um, but obviously they have a bit more flexibility around work and, you know, those things aren't always mm. a possibility, but it does show you that when you give your children the opportunity, I think what others listening might resonate with me, if I'm being truthful, is that I had all these ideas, you know, as a very kind of holistically minded person, how I would raise my children. And and I would do the, you know, just like, oh, you don't have to read, you don't have to do anything and learn you know, be the kind of mom who's like, I'm going to leave a book here. If you ever want to read it, read it. But I end because my son is so defiant. And so like, this is how it's going to be. And you are not going to tell me anything. And I'm never going to eat a new food in my life. And I am just going to do everything in my way. Then I became more like, I've put a, I've bought you a new book. I would love for you to read. Let's read it. Let's read it. No, I want to read Captain Underpants. Shall we read a bit of Enid Blyton? It was my favorite growing up. And then I'm doing that thing of like 
projecting, right? And I actually, I've seen this in the homeschool community as well, though. Obviously, it's not like the homeschool community is perfect in any way. First of all, the first thing is that, like you say, people home, home educate for numerous reasons. From what I've seen, there are two main camps. There's the holistically minded people that just want to kind of do things that aren't in the system because of their beliefs about that. And there's the neurodivergent community whose children cannot function in a school. I think those like there's lots of other categories, but maybe umbrellaed under both of those. And what my friend Simi said to me is that the issue, and I'm going to pose this to you, I don't think that there's necessarily a question, but mm. the values are not aligning between those mm -hmm. people. So within homeschool community, so for example, I'm in Northwest London, Hertfordshire, huge homeschooling um, community here. But there's a lot of misalignment within the values of the people because you've got people like me who are basically raving hippies who are just like, you know, doing things in one way. And then you've got people who aren't like that, but are homeschooling because their children are neurodivergent. They need a different option. And that 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 there's a misalignment there. And there are mm. also projections because of that. So you've got people in kind of my sort of camp who are like, but no, we don't want to do that because we're you know going to do something that's more natural so like you said we can't have the screens because this is how we live our lives or or they do get very like this is you're going to go to forest school because this aligns with our family values or and then it ends up becoming less of what it was meant to be about which is self-directed learning and which is allowing the children to become who they're meant to be because we're still trying to project our own views and create our ideal based on you know being the parent what we think it should be like even you know the people who are completely unschooling it can come like of that of course and that, it that's does. kind of then difficult to navigate yeah of course it does and I mean the home education community is very diverse there's yeah. no and in a way you would expect that and I think there I think it's even more diverse than you've outlined because there are also the people who do it for religious reasons Right. And there are they're a big group in the United States, but there are also quite a few of them in the UK who are basically home educating because they don't want their children exposed to the what they see as the secular values of the school. Mm. Um, but yes, and there are many, and I and I think the I think they're more blended than you think because I actually think that quite a lot of the families. So we call the the first group the kind of philosophical educators who are doing it because they feel that there's a different way for to learn really, and they mm. start out like that. A lot of those families, I think, although they think that they're doing it for the parents' choice, actually, as the children grow, it often turns out that the children maybe are neurodivergent. Or, And I think there's often something in a child that makes their parents go, hmm, maybe this isn't going to work, even if the parent isn't necessarily consciously thinking like that. In the, the parents kind of thinking, OK, here's my child the school system hmm not sure that's going to be a happy mix so I think it's but I do think that there's the group of people for whom school has gone really badly wrong Let's talk and for about them that. yeah I mean for them it doesn't feel like a choice and that's part of the issue I think that there's a lot of talking about home education about people will assume that it's kind of people talk about it as a lifestyle choice and, and parents will sometimes say that it's like a vacation even it's what they always wanted to do and then you've got this group of parents who it really wasn't what they wanted to do um, and they really wanted school to go well maybe they really needed school to go well for childcare reasons and it hasn't and they've been left without feeling like they don't have another choice mm -hmm. and I think that's a really difficult position for them to be in and it's also difficult 
because they kind of come into home education already having had lots of bad experiences and they want home education to solve those bad experiences, to resolve those bad experiences. And actually, you know, educators are managing their own children. There's no, I, I sometimes think there's, there's a different attitude. If you've been at school where school provides education, and you know your parent the parent's job is to get the child there and keep them there and the school provides the education in home education there's nothing like that there's no one providing it and it's just what parents what local parents decide yeah, to you've do you've got to find all the solutions yourself you've got to find or, or create them or create yeah. them uh, because if uh, it's just the, a reality that they won't the, the, what what's there won't necessarily fit your child because it will have been designed to fit the children of the parents who are setting it up which is fair enough because they're spending their time doing that and they don't have any obligation to provide a kind of service in the way that the schools do. So I think it's a difficult, yeah, and I think that taking on of we have to create these opportunities is a big thing about home education and that's certainly something which felt like when I we were home educating felt like a big thing for me that I had to, I could not assume that there would be a group that we could go to I might need to make that group happen or make those links happen be really proactive in reaching out to other families and trying to meet up with them and setting up things you know you just have to be very proactive I think as a as a home educating parent but also I think I think that one of our problems is that our school system is becoming so is becoming increasingly rigid. I mean, it's amazing to hear about your school. I'd love to know more about it because to hear that that kind of thing is happening in the state system is just amazing. It's very and, rare and we're very yeah. lucky that we happen to live. I mean, so, we're not very close to it. I drive seven and a half miles just to get there. But, oh, yeah, um, but of course you would because <laughs> yeah. it sounds great. And it's really, whenever I hear about something like that, I'm so encouraged because schools will often say we can't do anything differently because of the constraints of the but system. But most schools feel like that. And that's yes. frustrating because the school we were in before that would never have you know, I know considered it and if one school can do it and it's you know just state school yes um, then others could others too can but I, I know. think they all have this feeling of the business will suffer that parents and actually won't, what's yeah. happened with our school is they are Ofsted outstanding they wow. everything you know the kids are doing so well because they're so much more they're happy. my son is so much more relaxed yeah than he was at the other school like they were doing maths at two o'clock you know that's just not his brain's not set tired. up to do that they're yeah. all tired no no I mean it's amazing it's really good to hear and yeah maybe when we finish recording you can tell me more about it because I'd really just like to know about it Absolutely. um but I think but how can neurodivergent yeah. children or parents because I have a few friends in this camp yeah one in particular who is making the choice that um, her son is now in year five yeah he's not going to go to secondary to school secondary. because yeah. he is autistic has ADHD yeah. and he you know there's so many things come up that show her that and you know her husband that he will not be okay yeah. and they don't want to put him in that situation yeah now they are just kind of your regular sort of people had never considered yeah. homeschooling before like you say they're not in the philosophical camp yeah in the religious camp they're just in a camp of there are no other choices and we have yes. to somehow work and yet both parents work and yeah. already now you know for th from three years before they're already planning how are they going to make this work yeah I've got another friend I've been speaking to about it recently because one of her children is very much in this camp and needs mm. to not be in school and needs it she says all all she wants to do is be in nature that's all she wants and when she's there she's yeah. not she has this deep anxiety and when she's in nature she doesn't have it Lovely. so it's like you know there there are options now and when I was looking into it 
there was loads of things I could drop him off at as well. There was forest school, there was like science clubs, there was all these provisions, but it does require you to be around more. You're not dropping them from nine till three or whatever it is. Absolutely not. And and you have such a deeper responsibility to, because one of my friends who home educates her five children said to me, yeah, um, said to me, you know, we realized like we tried everything and then we realized actually that there were a lot of people who were also doing a bit of a disservice to their children because they weren't actually focusing enough on what the child, each individual child needs. And so she realized that one of her children really needed a little bit more like tutoring. He wanted, you know, to learn more about stuff, you know. And so she's got, she for her family, she said, having a tutor in a couple of hours a week works for yeah. us. And then they do yeah. forest school and then they do other stuff. But it was a very interesting point because it was when we were considering it, she said, just, you know, take into account, you have to be on it. You have to be on it with what they want to learn, what they, what you yep. need to visit. So you, all of a sudden you see they have an interest in something. You need to be aware enough they've got that interest because they might not come to you and say, hey, I've developed an interest <laughs> in coding. I've developed an interest in yeah. science or whatever it might yep. be. I want to do experiments. You might not know. No. Whereas with the level of like busyness within my business, I know that I don't have the capacity right now in this season of my life to provide my child with that. Therefore, I'm going to do them a disservice. But I'd love for you to talk about neurodivergent children and how parents, maybe parents listening to this who have considered homeschooling or maybe haven't yet, but are thinking this could be what my child needs, Mm. what they need to know about that. So, I mean, I think you've outlined a lot of the issues with it, which is it needs needs parents to be on it, basically. And I mean, with if your child is crashing out of school, if school is going really, really badly wrong, then you don't necessarily have to home educate. People do sometimes manage to get packages outside school. They get EOTAS packages, which basically is the LA funding people to come into your home and to do things or will fund you. It's difficult to get. It's, it stands for education otherwise than at school. And you have to go through, generally have to go through tribunal and all that sort of thing to get it. But if school can't meet need and isn't meeting need and the LA is not able to offer you an alternative, then that is one route LA that people... Is. The, the local authority. Local authority, sorry. Yeah, the local authority. So they so they are responsible for providing an education to every child unless you deregister. So once you deregister, you've opted out of that system and there's no financial responsibility from the LA generally. So you get nothing, which is really bad. I think mm-hmm. it's, a, I think it's, I mean, it, to the extent that you have to pay to do GCSEs as an independent candidate, you know, you can't, there's no way for GCSEs to be done for free if you're a home educator, as far as I know, unless you go to college. Anyway, but yes, it is hard work and parents do all sorts of ways around to get it to work. Like from, I mean, I, when we decided to home educate, I was at the beginning, so they were four and one, but I was at work. I had gone back to work when they were, you know, I took my maternity leave and then I went back to my work as a psychologist and I loved my work. It was my dream job basically. Um, But there was no way that it would work with both children at home full time and obviously as they get to school age all the childcare stuff stops being available in the same way you know they had a childminder that that wasn't going to be possible as they got older and that kind of thing um so I think one of the things to bear in mind is just you have to be really flexible and think about what could possibly work so what happened in our case actually was I left my NHS job and I worked evenings and Saturdays 
so that I was still working and keeping up. We still had an income, but I was basically handing over the children. It was a very hard time. I would not recommend it if you can avoid it, but we did manage it. And I managed to keep on working, which was really important to me. I managed to keep on having an income from that. And my husband, I think he managed to reduce his working hours a bit. So he would get a bit earlier in the evening, but literally would be handing over the kids and off I'd go to work. Mm. Um, but it changes as they get older. So when your friend is saying, you know, you have to be on it. Yes, you do in the early years. But actually, most parents are quite on it with their young children. You know, you don't have to be on it more than you do with your young children. Like if a young child is showing an interest in diggers or dinosaurs, you'll find that most parents will pretty well unconsciously be facilitating that because they'll know they'll be like oh they'll be interested in that I'll get them that book they'll be interested in that you know dinosaur exhibition let's go to that you're just doing it and it's the kind of thing you do in relationship with your child and I think you can you continue to do that and obviously maybe most parents if you send your child to school you stop doing that to quite the same extent maybe we but learn you just to can't... stop doing that because unconsciously we're handding the education of our children over to someone else so we're like I don't need to think about it now and maybe we yeah need to maybe we are coming and also to that yes and also school is sending home things like homework so they're actually making even the time that you do have with your children less available to you could be more against homework I actually heard that when our school was implementing what they were doing and they sent information out to the parents to let them know there were parents who were angry that there wouldn't be homework because they deemed homework to be important. They believed that they would really learn important. more by doing homework. And I, yeah, and the research just doesn't back that up. It no. just doesn't back it up at all. No, for primary school, it doesn't. Um, yeah, so, so I think it's a continuation of that. And I think probably it's harder work, definitely harder work if you have five children, because there are more needs to be thinking about. Mm -hmm. But as they get older, they take on that much more because, of course, as young children, they don't have that many ways to influence the world. They don't have that many ways to make choices because an adult has to facilitate pretty well every choice that they make. But as they get older, they can do things like go to the library themselves, perhaps, or they can take themselves to places or they can. You know, it was a big moment for me when my children started organizing their own social events, mm. because up to that point, it had always been me contacting the parent, organizing social stuff, making that was something I always had in the back of my head. How are we making sure they have contact with other kids? How am I making sure they have contact with other people, not just me? Um, but as they became, as they got to sort of puberty and they started going through puberty, they would start organizing their own stuff. And I think that's what you're aiming for. You're aiming for them to start taking on that responsibility. And it does happen. Everything's a season. So, you know, I talk about how when I had to give up my job when my children were small and things have changed. So now I can do work with my children in the house, which of course I couldn't when they were younger. So I think it helps to think of everything as a temporary measure. Yeah. So if you're taking your child out of school at secondary school level, for example, lots of colleges, local colleges will actually take home educated 14 to 16 year olds on a part time basis. You can do like a vocational course and you could do maths and English GCSE alongside. So you're looking, you know, there will be options like that a few years down the line. Mm. They're not so I think it can help if you're just thinking, this is about how do we get through these next couple of years and then they will become in more independent. Things will change. There'll be more opportunities. It doesn't have to be like this forever. Something I would like to raise while we're here is because mm. something that bothers me a lot is the idea that there are people who do not have these options. There are mm -hmm. people, single mums, low yep. income, having to go out and work and do 
the kind of jobs that cannot facilitate this or yep. two-parent families who can, Just simply cannot facilitate it yep. but have neurodivergent children and there is absolutely no support. so uh, I don't want to just kind of put that negative out there do you know of any um is there any is there anything families like that can do to have more support for their children that they know aren't thriving in a school environment and yet they cannot be there to facilitate any any other so, option yeah so obviously the first thing is can the school improve what they're doing can we work with the school to try and make things work? And your school is a great example, but I've also heard of loads of other examples of schools who, if they can really see that this might make the difference for this child between from not becoming unable to attend, for example, and yet, or being able to continue to attend, they can be, some schools can be really flexible. I've heard of a, a school who allowed a child to have the time between morning break and lunch to do things that they wanted to do quietly in the library, but to read books they didn't wanted to read, to basically have a bit of decompression time so that they could manage the whole school day. Mm. So there are schools, or there are schools that have places that kids can go if they can't manage a lesson. There yeah. are things that schools do, and it varies massively between school as to what they can do. Um, if it's absolutely the case of the child isn't attending school because they cannot, because they're burnt out by school, then you're kind of in a different domain now because you're really in a point where this child is unwell. They're so unwell, they can't get to school. So then you're more problem solving around that. Do you know what I mean? It's like if your child had a serious illness, what would you be doing? How would you be, how would you be thinking around that? Because at, at some point there just isn't another choice. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I know... It's I know single parent families, for example, who do home educate, who have moved back in with their parents in order to do so. I know people, yeah, who've who've done night one parent works night shifts. And I mean, in some it's in but you're in an extreme measures situation at that point. Yeah. And it would the be is that so many so many of the children who need it are in extreme measure situations. And actually, are, yeah, there are some that are also from families who 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 don't who don't even know that these are this is options or are unable to facilitate it in the slightest. So yeah, so much nuance. But but for, I guess for the people who are in the situation of lower income, not as many opportunities within home education. Yeah. Other than the school accommodating more, are there any other external so, things that they could look into? So then I think they should be looking at if the child is really not, if the school isn't meeting need, then looking for EOTAS is an option as well, that you could be trying to get a package where you're funded, basically. I do know people who who have who are funded for, say, a personal assistant to come and be with a child mm -hmm. during the day so that their parent parents can work because that funding comes through disability so it right. comes through a different channel if you see what I mean if you have disability living allowance and your child's got high knees I'm not a specialist in that but right. there are things that people there do there are some options we just have um, to dig really deep for it and you do have to dig really you, really yeah. deep there, but there are also there are part-time self-directed education communities are, they yeah. are almost all fee-paying because there's no funding for them but that but some of them have really steep sliding scales so if mm. you're on a really low income you will pay much much less than people who are on a higher income mm. and but that again is digging around and yeah. finding you know no one's going to tell you it that's the, part of the problem with home education no one is going to say here are the opportunities you have to go out and basically create them yeah. there's a web, good website called progressiveeducation.org which ha i think it's .org or it might be .org.uk 
which um, which has a list of various self-directed learning communities and home educating sort of cooperatives, which right. parents might be able to use. So to go just back yeah. to the positive, there are options for neurodivergent children who can't do well in school. And, you know, I think that it's in, important for parents to know that school isn't their only option and there are many options and that neurodivergent children can thrive in a in a different environment I think I think I think the issue really is that parents don't know so much about the other options yeah and have preconceived ideas about what that will mean yeah. but if you weigh up you know like my friend has done weighing up her son's needs against the you know oh he might not socialize enough and because yeah. he's neurodivergent and, and maybe isn't the same as his friends in terms of socializing yeah but but when you weigh it up what does he what's going to be more beneficial for him and actually if he yeah. feels more relaxed and he's not pressured into you have to be friends with these children at this time on these days maybe he'll soften into developing more of you know an ability to be in better so be better in social situations absolutely like you said and about the screens maybe if we just put less pressure and they have that time to de-school they will yeah. come to the point where they start. You, you've inspired me, I have to tell you. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm still good. a bit like, I don't want my kids to be on screens all the time. But you've inspired me to maybe start thinking about it a bit more. Just, I would just loosen up very gradually because mm. you will almost certainly get a kickback and it will seem like all your worst fears. Yeah. So if you start, if you say, don't say no limits, you can do whatever you want because what you will get is they will do what you're fearful of them doing. They will yeah. be on it all the time, but it's the bounce back. You always get the bounce back. But I just wanted to say one other thing about neurodivergent kids who aren't okay at school. I mean, because some parents, you know, they, the school won't really work, isn't very flexible and they really can't take them out of school. I would say that in that case, it's about making the time outside school as good as you can make it and mm. trying to keep school where it is just in those in that time. Because often what happens with families is if school is a struggle, everything in that family's life becomes about how, how about that school struggle. So every evening is about worrying about the next day. Every afternoon is about not doing your homework or not, you know, worrying about your homework. And sometimes parents will even invest quite a lot of money in doing things to try and help their children do better at school. So maybe get tutors after school because the child's struggling with maths and they get a maths tutor. And then everything in that family's life becomes about, can't we make school better? I could not and agree with this more. It's such a good point. Actually just saying, okay, school isn't great right now. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it. We wish we could, but we can't. Yeah. So, but we're going to keep school in those six hours. And when you come back, we're not going to make, I'm not going to make you do homework. I'm not going to be pressuring you about this. This is going to be our time. And it's going to be your time to do the things that you think are important and invest in the things they think are important rather than maybe the extra maths and English. <laughs> do you see what I mean? So well, it's a bit like values, right? So we have values in our family that we hold very dear. Mm -hmm. And some of the values of school don't align with that. But I yeah. hope that our impact on our children because we are so strong on our values and again not in like a projection way but these are our values and you know I don't care if you pass a test or if you get gold or if you get whatever yeah. it is like you get your rocket ship moves up or you know what are our values so in, in, in just to say that it's the same kind of thing they can yeah. learn something about religion or something at school we might not agree with yeah but are they strong in their values because we've planted that with them yeah. so deeply that they know their place in the world that they can know you don't and they can have their own belief they can create their own you know but 
do, do they know that they don't have, that that isn't the way, that that doesn't have to be the thing yeah. they believe in? So I think in the same as what you're saying about taking, you know, the outside of school, I think the idea is that the majority of their quote unquote education, how they feel about themselves, what they do, their purpose, all of that should actually come from the home, not from the school. Yeah. And you have to live it. That's the tricky thing because it's so easy to think, oh, yes, you know, I'm not worried about test results or homework or that kind of thing. And then actually, when it comes to it, you start to think, oh, but, you know, maybe wouldn't, wouldn't it just be better if they could just do it? And it's really hard to draw that line and say, no, it's going to stay there. And we are going to do the things that are important to you in this yeah. time. And I think, you know, you can still have that kind of attitude of the home educator trying to thinking about what opportunities you can you create for your child so just thinking about say if they have a really bad time socially at school are there social opportunities you could find for them out of school where they're getting a different experience mm -hmm. and it might not be with other young people it might be lots of neurodivergent kids they're, they they have a really good relationship with say another a young adult often it's a young adult who is a youth leader or who is the scout leader or who is their climbing instructor someone you know who yeah. they have a relationship without the family where they can see a different way of being with people mm. and I think and again with opportunities you're thinking if they're not really getting opportunities to do the things they find really interesting at school how can I make those opportunities happen outside school for them mm. so that there's a balance so we're kind of balancing all the time and I I would always be thinking about where where do they feel in control of their life what are they where are they relating to other people what are their relationships like and where do they find meaning and purpose? Mm -hmm. And how can I help those three things outside of school if, if school is inevitable? Because, of course, for most families, it is. I've loved this. Um, so many nuggets of wisdom. And I think so many things for people to take away in terms of, you know, different different views, different ideas of what could work and what might not work. And I find the older I get, the less I think I'm right. And the more I realize <laughs> yeah. that there is... Um, space for every eventuality for every option mm. um for every opinion and and I find that fascinating I find that amazing that we can kind of diverge these views and and these these options of being of educating of parenting and just to create something more positive mm. yes it's so been really nice to talk to you we will put your all your details in the show notes for anyone who um, wants to find Naomi. Her webinars are amazing. Um, your two books and your Substack and your website. Is there anything I'm missing where people can find you or what people might want to see? Facebook, my Facebook page. Did you say that? Dr. Naomi Fisher on Facebook. We will add that um, as well. <laughs> and I'm also on LinkedIn, but that's more for professionals. Amazing. That's Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. It's been great. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. 
Now don't forget I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate you.